turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. If you are um, new to Christianity or just checking out the church and aren't familiar with the Bible, we've printed that for you on page 9 of your worship guide. Acts chapter 6, starting with verse 1, reading through verse 7. This is God's Word. Now in these days... When the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they had said, what they had said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolatus and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me again and ask God's blessing on his word, priests? Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we would pray that you would open up our hearts We would confess that they grow dull and cold and hard. And so, by your Spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray that your your Holy Spirit would do a work in us, that, that we would leave here changed, saying, God's met with us. He's done something in my life. I, I am different. The Lord has been here, and he's worked a work of redemption. Lord, we would pray that you would tend to your word with this kind of power. So we are praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're uh, visiting with us, we're spending the month of January doing a little bit of a mini-series on the mission and ministry of the church. Usually we work our way through books of the Bible, but we realized that we had had so many new people join, so many visitors over the last couple of years that we needed to clear away some confusion, particularly during this season when we are working through um, us together, sensing who God is calling to be elders and deacons. And so we wanted just to bring some clarity here on, uh, we've talked about how essential the church is. And today, last Sunday, we talked about elders. Today, we're going to talk about deacons. But really, this is, this is a series on the essential nature of the church. Right? In order to put it another way, the, the Bible knows nothing of a churchless Christianity. A churchless Christian um, is, is like a waterless fish. A fish can exist apart from water, just not for very long. The water is the environment in which it thrives. It's necessary for its life. And so too, a church... 
has been given to the world. We've said it this way in, in years past, that God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. The work that he's doing of redemption, the church is his vehicle for that. It's the body of Jesus, his bride, it's the temple, it's the household of God. All of these images get mixed together. And to the church, God has given the gift of elders and deacons. Deacons are the sort of the face of God to us in our brokenness and neediness. Now, let's be honest. We don't like to be needy. We, we need to really, if you really want to put your hand to the plow of, of something to work on in the years ahead, don't, don't worry about your, your weight or um, your TV time or your screen time. If you really want to put your hand to something real, that will really profit you in the year ahead, put your hand to this. I, I'm just going to work at being a little more comfortable with my neediness, my vulnerability. And, and you see, one of the reasons that I think it's so difficult for us to be needy and vulnerable is that we like so much the feeling of being on top of being in a place of power and living with our lives together, that when we are vulnerable and needy, it sort of flips that on its head and, and makes us feel our weakness in such a way that we want to isolate ourselves and hide ourselves. Because in our moments of neediness and vulnerability, we're, we're really asking the question, does anybody care? Will anybody meet me here? And then the subsequent question, do they actually have the power to help and we're so afraid of having a no to those questions that we just isolate ourselves and we shouldn't and yet as we've said in the past our needs are like the are like the nubs on legos when you step on them they're they're really quite painful but they're really essential to making something, making, you stick two Legos together and you've seen your kids do it. I mean, how many times have you said to them, don't use your teeth? And, they, and their response is that there's no other way to get them apart. And that's where our needs connect to the heart of God and make a strong bond. And when we isolate ourselves from our neediness and our vulnerabilities, then we find that we're just off here by ourselves. And it's like stepping on a Lego then. It's quite painful with no added benefit. You see, the, need, the reason that God has given deacons to the church is because we are in a constant state of neediness and vulnerability and that he has given deacons to the church to meet our needs and vulnerability is a revelation of the heart of God. This is what he says in Psalm 103, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fears him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. And the word that David uses in Psalm 103 for compassion comes, is derived from the word for womb, where the vulnerable are kept in a place where they thrive. A father shows 
compassion. It's a, a deep sense of uh, this is mine. And apart from my care, apart from me, they will cease to be. And that can't be. And so a father has compassion for his children because he knows that we are but dust. Psalm 103. Now Psalm 145, verse 14. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who bow down. That is the heart of God towards those who are needy. And deacons are important because they reveal that God's heart for his church. He knows that we're but dust. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and a God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God, for we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we also share abundantly in comfort too. The heart of God matching on to our own needs and vulnerabilities. That's just not all that we are, just a bunch of needs. We're in Christ, all the comfort that God has at his disposal It's ours in Christ. We share abundantly in his comfort too. That is the heart of God. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. So in our sufferings, we share abundantly in the heart of God. You see this in Exodus chapter 2. His people are oppressed in all their afflictions under the heavy hand of Egypt's oppression. They've been put to slavery to build the empire of Pharaoh. They're a vulnerable people, and God will have no say in this. And this is what we read during those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery. And their cry of rescue from slavery rose up to God. And God heard their groaning, and he remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham. And this is one of the most beautiful phrases in all of Exodus. And God knew. And when he knows his people, he knows them with intimacy. That, that word is often used for the marriage bed. That's that kind of knowing. I know, I heard your groaning. My heart's moved. I know you're suffering. My heart's moved. And what does he do? He comes and sets his people free, makes them his own, takes them into the promised land where they dwell with him and he with them because he's the God of all comforts who comforts in abundance. He can't turn a deaf ear to the needs of his people. That is the God who out of that heart has given the gift of deacons to his church. In Acts chapter 6, our passage this morning, we find the genesis. In Acts chapter 6 is the genesis of what would eventually 
become the office of deacons in the church. And the Greek word that we translate as deacons later on in the history of the development of the church, that Greek word is diakonos. It's it's an ancient word that often gets also translated as servant. But in the ancient Roman world, there were many different kinds of servants. And each of these different kinds, it was a very precise language. Greek is a very precise language. And so it had different words for all those different kinds of servants. A doulos was a a servant, I was often translated as slaves. Well, a diakonos was a kind of servant who would go and get the resources that someone needed and bring them to them. Sometimes it's translated as a table servant because they would go get the food. Someone's hungry. They would go get the food. Those are the resources that I need. I'll bring them here to the need. That's the word that, that is when out of all the servant language that the Apostle Paul has at his disposal. That's the one he reaches out and grabs. This is what a deacon is. He's a table servant. He goes and he's the kind of household servant who says, there's resources, there's needs, my job's to go get them because the God of all comfort lives in his church and is bringing comfort to his people. And he's going he's to do that through me. Now, this is... An office, and so we esteem deacons a bit. But in the ancient world, servants and slaves were, they were despised. And that's how the kingdom of God just flips the economy of the world on its head. I mean, no one in the ancient world gave birth to a child and said, oh, I certainly hope they become a table servant one day. It wasn't your dreams for them because it was not a dignified position. People with power had servants. People with money had servants. Servants were in no way dignified. But this is how the kingdom of God creates an entirely new economy. It's an upside down kingdom. It flips the power structures on its head. He Gives. This is what we had said in our, in our confession of sin, our New City Catechism, the songs that we've sung. The economy of Jesus works this way. You don't earn a status in his kingdom. You don't earn dignity. He gives it freely. In fact, what we bring to the table is all of our sin and brokenness. And he says, that's mine. I'll take that from you. And I'll give you in return all of the dignity and all of the status that belongs to me as the righteous one of God, the holy one of Israel, the son in God's own household. Guess what? That's your status. That is who you are. And that then gives you the freedom to become a servant, to become a slave. Put this mind in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, took the form of a servant, slave in that instance, a doulos, even to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So if you are a son in God's household because Jesus has given that to you, he died the death he should have died, he lived the life you could not live, and he's given that to you, then all of a sudden it flips the kingdom of God, flips it on and says, I can, I'm now free to serve. I have all the dignity that I need. And so... 
he gives out of that heart to his people the glory of household servants called deacons. It encapsulates the economy of God. Grace is given to needy people. Now look how important they are to the health of the church because if you look down at verse 7, this is what we read. There was a need. God provided deacons, verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and many priests became obedient to the faith. That phrase, and the word of God increased, continued to increase, is like a transition marker in the book of Acts. You'll notice it in a number of separate places. It's sort of a, this is the end of book one and the beginning of book two. It's transitioning. Something, and it always transitions when something incredibly important has happened that's propelling the mission of the church forward in the world with tremendous power. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, and the Word of God continued to increase. Men are martyred for Jesus. And the gospel goes out from Jerusalem to Samaria and to the uttermost ends of the earth, and the word of God continues to increase. There's a need. Deacons are given. The church has experienced the power of God in this gift, and the word of God is increasing. It's a sign that God is on the move. And what has happened is the church saw their need, ordained a group of men to care for the physical needs of the vulnerable widows in this case, the most needy. That's the heart of God. But I think we need to develop this a little bit further because my goal for the end of this is for you to say, we want more deacons. They're God's gift. If we're going to develop this a little bit further and understand their role in the church, we need to, to see how word and deed always, always go together in God's economy. They're complementary offices, elders and deacons, word and deed in the church. So, for instance, when Paul writes his letter, the book of Philippians, to the church in Philippi, he addresses it to the elders and deacons who are in the church of Philippi, as well as all the saints. In a healthy church that is thriving, where the word of God continues to increase, they complement each other because word and deed complement each other in God's kingdom. You see, the presenting problem in is, is Acts 6 is a question of generosity and justice. The church is growing at such a tremendous rate that somebody is being neglected by the daily distribution. See, what's happened is that in Acts chapter 2, that so many people come to faith in Christ that they believe the message of the gospel and they start selling their possessions. Acts 2.44 All who believed were together and had all things in common and they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The gospel was bearing such tremendous fruit in both word and deed that in Acts chapter 4 the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of their things belonged to him was their own they had everything in common and so 
Here's the problem in verse 2 of Acts chapter 6. The twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and they said, look, here's what's going on. There's so many needs in the church and then God has provided so many resources that we're spending all of our time trying to take care of the physical needs of the body and, and by the way, we're kind of missing out on some people because the Greeks are over here saying our widows aren't being taken care of and because the Hebrews, you see the racial tension there being eliminated by the gospel in the church exists being leveled by word and deed. But here's the problem. They look, look, we're spending all of our time doing that, that it's not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. And so let us do our job, and these men will do their job, and we will work together, and the church will be healthy. There's this there's often this debate among Christians that kind of goes like this. You know, the charismatic church has big hearts. They do worship well. They, they really have engaging their emotions well, which is so true. A vibrant worship. But Reformed folks, they have big heads. They've got their theology right. They do theology well. And then there's these other churches. What they do is they really do things, right? They, they get out there and, and, and they do the work of the kingdom and and the thinking goes, you know, uh, I, one church is better than the other. But, but look, this is, what, this is not the vision of the Bible. The, the vision of the Bible, the vision of Jesus revealed in his word is that we should have big heads and good theology and big hands and we do things in this world and hearts that are fully engaged in worship. And you see that in these two permanent offices. That Jesus gives to his church, elders and deacons, word and deed. They go together. Let's see how this, again, shows up in Acts chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was their own. They had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. The apostles are testifying. They're doing word of God. Everybody was having an impact. People were selling their things. They're actually doing things for the kingdom of God and experiencing the power of God in their lives. That's what a healthy church looks like. And that's why it's not good for the apostles just to serve the tables. Because they need to tend to the word of God. But it's also equally not good for the widows, the needy, and the vulnerable to be neglected. Because the needy and the vulnerable are the treasured in God's kingdom and should be nurtured and provided for. This is what one author calls deacons. He calls them the, the shock absorbers in the church. Under the tires of your car are shocks. They absorb the big bumps in the road. So as you go along, you can hit the pothole and it won't completely destroy your whole car because the shock absorbers absorb the potholes. And as God of all comforts remembers that our frame is but dust, he provides these men called deacons to enter into your life 
when there are these huge potholes. You lose a job, you get sick, you've extended stay, a baby is born and disrupts your house. They, they come in and, and then activate the entirety of the body so we can together absorb the shocks of whatever pothole just got put in front of you. You see what this is, requires us to do, though? It requires the courage in Christ to believe that he is the God of all comforts so that he'll comfort us through each other We've got to work at being needy if we're going to enjoy these benefits. I need to say, and I need to say this today. So here, I mean, this is the economy of God's kingdom, and, and today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, which is always, it's always this, this Sunday every year. It should be every Sunday every year, but it's this Sunday where we just kind of highlight it. And there are two main reasons that the Christian should care about abortion. Two of them, at least two. And when I say care, I mean deeply bothered with compassion that comes out of the gut of our hearts. One is that from conception, that child, whatever conception happens, who knows, that's such a weird mystery. But it's clear that that, at that moment, that is a distinct person that has all the potential to grow up to be a distinct person. Full of the glory that it means to be an image bearer of God, but in glory in a very vulnerable position. We should care because that's God's image. We should care, secondly, because that's vulnerable. A very, very vulnerable image that should be protected and nurtured. That's the economy of God's kingdom. It's the heart of God that's manifest in the economy of God's kingdom. It's the gift of deacons. And so the last thing I want to do now is, as I've sort of given this pitch, the deacons are a glorious gift and an illustration of the heart of God. So now it's your job. Here's what now you need to do. Notice from Acts chapter 6 that he, this is their instruction. Choose from amongst yourselves seven men full of good repute so that these men should be full of the spirit and of wisdom full of the spirit and of wisdom you should be noticing these men amongst us God is raising up and the we always say we want to look for three things in our elders and deacons during this nomination process giftedness godliness and calling look for men who are gifted in this area. For instance, compassion and mercy, it's not my right foot. You probably don't want me to be your deacon. You want me to be your elder, I hope, but you don't want me to be your deacon. Not gifted in that way. They're for men who are gifted in this way, and one of the ways that you can look for this is these are men who are already entering into the brokenness of other people's lives and saying, look, they're there are resources out there. I can see those resources. I can see their need. And I, I've got some uh, wisdom as to how to bring those together to match. Look for men who are already doing the work of the office. And then these last pieces of godliness. Calling is going to be determined 
by you talking to them? Do you think God's calling you by you praying? God, raise up these gifts. Just give us more of these gifts. And then godliness. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy 3. Quick, very quickly. 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. What are we looking for? What should you be looking for? Giftedness, godliness, and calling. Or men full of the Spirit and wisdom. Verse 8. Deacons, likewise, like elders, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And in other words, they should be able to be counted on. Full of the Spirit. They're just maturing Christian men. Not like got their whole life together, not like holier than thou. Those, we don't want those kind of men. Um, those men don't have compassion. They think they're better than everybody else because they've got their act together. They need to be fellow strugglers. I'm just as broken as you are, but I'm learning to cling to Jesus, and he's making a difference in my life. So, Deacons should be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. There should be a, a level of reliability and maturing in them because they're clinging to Jesus. Secondly, they should be faithful to their own houses. Verse 12, deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Again, not perfectly because... You don't want those men who think that they've got it all figured out because they're just oppressive. But you do want men who are clinging to Jesus enough that they're learning to run their own households well. Husband of one wife, stuck it out with one wife, sticking it out with their children, leading them to the Lord. And then thirdly, they need to have doctrinal convictions. Verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Because this is an office in Jesus' church. He is, they are his representatives to you. And so they need to hold to the mystery of the faith well. That's shorthand. That's Paul's shorthand for saying the teachings of the Bible. The mysteries of the faith. Handed down from the apostles to us in our Bibles. This is doctrinal convictions because they are officers in the church. And then the last part of the process, verse 10. They need to be tested. First, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Over the next year, this is what we're going to do. You're going to nominate them for the office. We're going to work at training them. They'll sit before the elders, the overseers of the church, and be tested. And then if that's the case, then we'll put them back before you. And you'll get the privilege of saying, we think God's calling you. We don't think God's calling you. Last step in the process. Now, some of you, <laughs> some of you are probably, have been approached to be deacons. You're probably thinking God's calling me to be deacons. And then I preach this sermon, you're like, I'm out. And so for you, let me end with this promise from 1 Timothy 3, verse 13. It is a weighty office that has a reward and a promise attached to it. 
for those who serve well at deacons, gain a good understanding for themselves, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. And we often say around here, a growing Christian is a serving Christian, a serving Christian is a growing Christian. They kind of work together. And you hear that promise in verse 13. It's a weighty promise, it's a weighty office. Take it upon yourselves with this hope that the more you serve, the more you'll grow. You'll gain at the end of it a great confidence that Jesus is enough. We want more of these men to pray hard and often. Think and talk to men that you think are being called to this office. And then submit your vulnerabilities and see the God of all comfort meet you where you're most needy. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to be servants in all of life. Help us to not consider ourselves better than another, but to put on the mind of Christ to consider others worthy of more honor than ourselves. Pray, Lord, that you would put an end to abortion in our country. Protect the vulnerable. Give us hearts of compassion towards all of the vulnerable in, in our lives. And then give us the courage to bring our vulnerabilities before you and each other with the hope and confidence that you've proved yourself to be the God of all comfort in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so in his name we pray. Amen.